have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 23. I thought about doing an, uh, maybe have you all stand during the sermon and I'll sit, see how that works. <laughs> see how that works out, yeah. I know it's like gymnastics, right? Up, down when we sing. Okay, stand on this one, sit down. So you get your, you get your workout in. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 23. So we've been looking at this series, The Son Became Man. And the very first one, which I think is the biggest, um, who he is, he is the Logos. He is with God, he was God and is God. And that Logos in 1 John 1.14 became flesh, dwelt among us. So he came in bodily form. Humanity, divinity matched. Uh, still think it's true. It's like trying to nail jelly to a wall. It's the way I heard it explained one time. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of God, even in his humanity. And so uh, the last time we started mentioning the way in which we are redeemed. And today we're going to go a little bit further in it. Last week we were in chapter 9. Today we are in chapter 10. But because the Son became man, and by virtue of his divinity, by virtue of his death on the cross, we can now draw near to God. We can now draw near to God. Now, uh, uh, just a quick reminder, Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience, and the author of Hebrews, and there's been debates on who it is, but the author of Hebrews is trying to argue to the Jewish community that Christ is better than the angels, Christ is better than Moses, and therefore Christ is the high priest that you need to put your trust in. So really, it's an evangelistic book, if you will, maybe even an explanation book to the Jewish community to how Christ fulfilled the law and how he, how he ushers them and us into the kingdom of God. So um, nothing lives in isolation. Look at, at the very first word there, therefore. This is in verse 19. This obviously pulls back to something that was said before. So there is a transition happening here. And I want us to think of the transition when Jesus came. Because in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. So there's, there's a transition from the, from the old covenant to a new covenant. And this is brought out in verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after, and this is quoting Jeremiah. This is a covenant that I will make with them after the days de declares the Lord. After those days declare the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And now we have Jesus who enters the scene, and what's taking place when Jesus arrives on this earth is he is taking an external covenant, and he is bringing it inward. There is a transformation, if you will, taking place on the redemptive side of the house, which is how we're brought into a relationship with him. So you have this external issue where the priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and then the priest would also go into the holy place. Now what's taking place in Christ is that that is 
in a sense done away with but in place of that Peter even says that we are a royal priesthood we become priests and are able then to draw near to God so he says therefore in verse 19 brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ this word confidence means boldness more importantly it means authority and in some sense it refers to a access point back when I was in the the doctorate program at Lincoln they forced me to forced <laughs> they, they requested or they re, they required that every student in the doctorate program have logos which is a massive basically a massive seminary and I had to take courses on it this is what I deal with every week now because I've learned it so you have all the, the the different Hebrew Greek words and so you really have to study it but you can't get to this unless you have an access code you have to have the access code to download it and you also have to have the access code to know how to work it here by the blood of Christ notice what he says that since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ we have the access code Christ has given us the access code by the blood of Jesus and then we enter the holy places we know this we've kind of looked at it let's see I'm gonna I would test you which gate is this it's the east gate that's where they would that's where they would come in very good you guys were listening last week you come in through here a sacrifice would be given the priest would put it on the altar and then the priest would go to the to the labor he would wash his hands this is interesting because uh, when you look at this you really see a form of worship that we understand today there really is because here the priest washes his hands not only for for ritual purity but also for service to God and let let us let's be reminded this morning that we serve in the holy place because of Jesus it's by his blood that we're able to enter into the presence of God therefore God saves us to serve so therefore as believers we draw near to God is what the author here says we draw near to God by the blood of Jesus let me remind us this morning that none of us within our own power cunning strength can gain access to God except through the blood of Christ by God's mercy by his grace by his love he provided the access code and you'll notice there that he says that we can now enter into God's presence when was the last time you went to him I mean I know you live in his presence all day but when was the last time you went to him and went before him and worshiped him and praised him that's a that's a good question that's a tough question to answer and it can be difficult at times he goes on to say talking about our hearts now let us draw near to God so in verses in verse 20 we read this by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain 
that is through his flesh. So you could refer to the curtain as the, the temple to the, well, we can go back and look at it for a second. Right here and right here. You go through these and go in. Um, notice what he says here. He says, new and living way. Propesos, propesos is the word new. In the Old Testament, the word referred to to slaughter something in advance. In the New Testament, it refers to a recent or fresh way. So what you have here is a recent, a recent or fresh living, zeo, we've seen that word a lot, life-giving, and the word way is uh, the way for street. So you have now a recent or fresh way which is living, which is based on a path or a road. Hence, when Jesus says, there is no way to the Father except through me, this is the road that he's talking about. There's no other way. And then he says that this has been opened for us. And that word refers to something which was previously unavailable. It's previously unavailable. When we go back and we look at the Old Testament priest, and I think one of the quotes I used last week was that the priest would take the offering, he would offer it, and then he would go into the holies of holies. He would go represent the people, but he couldn't take the people. That way was blocked. Why? Because only the Levitical priest could go in there. So it was one person, not everybody. So here now, you have a way which was once blocked to us, now open. It's now open. We, I want you to think about this for a second. You have access to the Holy of Holies. You have access to, I mean, Jesus Christ opened it so that you can now go in and have dialogue with the creator of the universe. Let me remind us again, this is not about our works. This is about our faith. This is not about what we can do for God, but rather what Jesus did for us. And it is only by that grace that we are then able to go out and to serve and to do the things that he's called us to do. Um, beautiful language, beautiful language of the priesthood. Uh, the, the metaphors come over beautifully. Um, anyway, he says, since we have a high priest, this is referring to our hearts now, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus is over the church. You could say it that way. This is First Baptist Church of Tolono. But guess whose church it really is? It's really Jesus Christ's church. He paid for it by his blood. And therefore, he is over the church. Nobody in the church is higher than Jesus. Nobody in the church is higher than Jesus. That includes the pastor. I'm a shepherd, but I'm an under-shepherd to the great shepherd. 
He's still my shepherd guiding me. Now, this, some beautiful words here in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me share. I've been beating at it last week and this week. Three thoughts here about, about verse 22. Number one, draw near as, an, a priest, as a priest approaching God because you are a priest. You are a priest. You have the same authority that the Old Testament priest had. First Peter chapter 1, or First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And it goes on to say that we work for him. That's exactly what priests did. They offered sacrifices, and then they washed themselves so that they could serve God. That, again... Again, I think we do a really good job at, at saying, maybe, maybe we don't, maybe we do. I think, I think most of you could lead somebody in a sinner's prayer and lead them to Christ. I'm about 80% sure on that, which is good. But the issue is not, I think we've, salvation is a one-time event. There's no doubt about that. Salvation is a one-time event. That's the day when you come in contact with the reality that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. But it is a lifelong process of becoming more like him day by day by day. So in one sense, yes, it is a one-time event done for all eternity, but then it's a lifetime, a lifetime of learning. Martin Luther said it this way, it's become com- becoming comfortable in our salvation. In other words, we're saved, but we're also being saved. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it's becoming comfortable in our salvation. That is, understanding what salvation really is in the long scheme. And here, we're told that we can draw near as a priest. This phrase, prosarcomai, draw near, is a continual act. And because we are now priests, it is a continual thing that we do every day, that we draw near. Not draw near just on Sunday and not just any time we have a Bible study, but that we make it a practice of drawing near to God. I remember sitting in a, in a seminar one time, and uh, the speaker, and his name escapes me now, but um, I, I talked with him about it afterwards, and his whole theory, uh, his whole seminar that day eight hours was on how we draw near to God it was excellent by the way it was very very good and I talked to him afterwards and he wrote in my book and I'll have it with me next Sunday probably if I can find it up there he said I love your excitement now it must have just been me asking questions and you know really excited about all this but It is a lifetime of drawing near, living in the presence of God. One way that I like to do it is I shut my eyes and I draw a picture of God on his throne. We 
We're visual people, by the way. Very visual. That was proven when I gave tests and stuff after the, the PowerPoint slide was over. Um, but we're visual people. We grasp visual. So when you're in your prayer closet or wherever you're praying or when you're thinking about God, think about him on his throne of visualization and that you're drawing near to him. I don't know. When, when, when I think of drawing closer to God, I think of this. <laughs> this, is, this is what I think of, right? Because when you come to God, it is not with pride. You come boldly. But in that boldness, remember that he's the one who redeemed you and saved you and saved your life. Well, he goes on to say that also with a sincere heart full of faith, which is basically um, because of the blood of Christ, because we've been forgiven, because we have access to God, and because our hearts have been purified, we can come before him. Obviously, sometimes that means stopping at the brazen altar, if you want to put it this way, stopping at the brazen altar and say, Father, forgive me of the sins that I've done. You get, again, you get that brazen altar. It's not that you're asking for forgiveness of your sin to renew your salvation. The salvation was taken care of. But this is so that you maintain that relationship with God, a good relationship with him, so that you can then serve him. So sometimes stopping at the brazen altar and, and, and saying, I need, I, need, I need to be forgiven, is a good thing. I would never tell anybody ever, never repent of your sin because the blood of Christ covered it all. I think it's something you do daily, not, not to keep your salvation, but because of your salvation. The big difference. I do this because I want to be like him. I do this because of what he did for me. So it's kind of a daily thing. It's, it's not something that we think about, oh, maybe, oh yeah, well, no, no. It's like every day we should be thinking about this. Not that we live in fear. We live by faith. But also, it's kind of like those of you that have kids and grandkids, you want that relationship with them. Sometimes our kids and grandkids don't do exactly what we want them to do. Not all perfectly, not all the time. You still love them. But anyway, make sure that we work on a sincere heart. And then, not only that, but cleaned and washed. That means basically purified inwardly. So it's a... It really is a... A difficult concept. In one sense, we are totally pure. In another sense, we are still becoming pure. In other words, purity is also a process. I bet you on some of your best days, you don't look too good. <laughs> I guarantee you. And some of my best days, I don't look too good either. That's where the struggle comes in. Our Sunday school class is getting ready to talk about this a little bit in a, in a little bit, but. Um, David Allen, one of my favorite commentaries. These are actions which have already been accomplished for us at the moment of conversion. 
when the atonement is applied to our hearts, resulting in objective forgiveness, internal cleansing, and the simultaneous deliverance from a guilty conscience. So in other words, there is a one moment when we are purified, but it's not an outward purification, it's an inward purification. We have been purified inside. It is simultaneous. Martin Luther, again, to quote one of my favorite older theologians, simultaneously sinner and saint. The saint part, you've been redeemed, but we're still sinners saved by the blood of Christ. That's tough. Again, difficult. He also goes on to add this. This metaphorical language of being sprinkled at the heart emphasizes the internal nature of salvation in contrast to the external nature of the Old Covenant. It was precisely at this point, according to our author, where the Old Covenant had failed. Not that the Old Covenant was bad, but there needs to be a heart change. And if there's not a changed heart, there's a problem. Because God doesn't look at appearances. He doesn't look at, wow, he looks good. He's doing this and this and this and this and this. But their hearts are far from me. There's a point in our lives when we have to look inward and say, have I really been redeemed? Am I really saved? For those watching by Facebook, that's the issue. The issue is the heart. The issue has always been the heart with God. Not how pretty something looks, not how externally good it looks. He's worried more about the heart. Yeah, David's, David Allen's right on this. And then we cling to our hope. So after we've done this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by a new and live away, he has opened through us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near in with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Therefore, in light of that, in light of the fact that we can go before him, let us Hold fast, kadeko, which means to continue to believe. This is, I thought about this. I thought about this. How can you have confidence? And having gone before the throne of grace to ever doubt that, But when I look at Scripture, when you look at, let's just go back to the Old Testament for a minute. God, on the edge of the Red Sea, opens the Red Sea up. The people of Israel cross on dry ground. God closes it down over Pharaoh's army. And then they forget it. Right? Fast forward to the New Testament. 
three and a half years, the disciples live with Jesus. Lord, I will never deny you. Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the, before the crow cocks. Three times. You will deny me. And I think about all the things, Lord, is that you? Yeah. How can we not hold fast to the confession? This word means allegiance, to express one's allegiance. So let us continue to believe in the allegiance of our hope. That t-shirt. I am whosoever, John 3.16. By the way, before the cock crows three times. I think I might have said it another way, but I went, I went back and got it. I go, wait a minute, that didn't quite sound right, so I go back. Um, I, our faith is supposed to be visible. Our faith supposed to be visible. We, I remember Dr. Haney in Ministry 101. He said, I need to get you guys to start thinking about not in terms of salvation. And we were like, what's this about? And he said, you need to start thinking in, yes, salvation, he said, but you need to start thinking in terms of covenant. I get that now. Because when you enter the covenant with God, you've made a contract. It is an allegiance. I'm going to tell you this straight up. God knows who's plain and who's serious. God knows it. I don't, I don't know it. But God does. He knows where your relationship is with him. And trust me, he knows you. He knows me. And he knows who's serious and who's not. And he says here that we hold on to this alliance that we have. And the hope, which is the uh, eschatological nature of this text here, which speaks of the future. Here's what the future holds for those who have been born by the blood of Christ. By the way, they, um, I'm trying to remember where it was, but just recently, 10 Christians were martyred for the faith. It was, it was Liberia, Nigeria. 10, 10 believers beheaded because of their faith. That's what awaits us. This is why we hold to the hope that we have in Christ. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Pretty cut and dry. That is our hope. That's what we cling to. 
and having been on numerous deathbeds with people and watching them pass, there is something that takes place in that transformation. On this side of the fence, yes, it hurts. On that side of the fence, there is joy beyond measure. That is what we cling to. That is our hope. That is what we hold fast to. And we do this without wavering. We do this without wavering. He says it. Without wavering. Notice in the next breath in verse 23, 23b. Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Aklisnes. Aklisnes. Without change. Do you ever doubt God? Well. There's been times we all have, right? That may in and of itself be a season of wavering. James says it this way, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Sometimes when we get here in our lives, it's easy It's easy to become unstable. Burn that image and just hold, just hold. By the way, the anchor of your faith will hold. You need to stay the course. And you trust God with your life. And I get it. It is difficult at times. When you don't know what's coming next, it is difficult. I have been there and done that. So I can talk with a little bit of authority this morning on what it looks like when you do this. Scary. It is. But... You are, we just got to get to a place where we're just not going to waver in our faith. We know he lives. We know he redeemed us. We know we have access to him. And you know what? I'm going to trust him with my life. Clinging to our hope. Let's draw near to God because he came to this earth, died on a cross, paid for our sins. Let us draw near to God and cling to the hope of the future promise. Now, I don't know if you're out there and you've... I want to give you one more thing because I think it's important. Psalm 18.2. Remember it. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Let me close with this. There is nothing that you're going through this morning that God doesn't already know. There is nothing that you are encountering that God doesn't already know. 
and there is nothing that can come against you that God doesn't allow. And there is nothing that can break you because God will not allow you to be broken. And ultimately defeated because he is God and we win. I just want to tell you, draw near to him daily. Draw near to him daily. Draw that picture of God on his throne. Get that picture. And then cling to the hope like you would cling on to the edge of a cliff. Cling on to it. I think that's pretty good advice for living this Christian life. 